The Injured Senior Podcast is here to help. Like it or not, the senior and elderly population is vulnerable to negligence committed by medical professionals, nursing homes, assisted living facilities, pharmaceutical and medical device companies, insurance companies, and everyday individuals and businesses. Your host, Steve Heisler, creator of the National Injured Senior Law Center, has been advocating for seniors' rights for over 30 years and is bringing you answers to your questions. This is the Injured Senior Podcast. Good day to all in the injured senior community. This is Stephen Heisler, CEO and founder of the National Injured Senior Law Center. And you are listening to the latest edition of the Injured Senior Podcast. The Injured Senior Podcast is a show dedicated to discussing medical and legal issues of vital importance to the injured senior and elderly population, as well as their families, loved ones, and caregivers. We are sponsored by the National Injured Senior Law Center, the legal advocates for seniors and the elderly who are harmed by the negligence of others. If you believe you've been harmed by a medical professional, nursing home, or by a medical device, go to www.InjuredSeniorHotline.com or call 877-228-4878 to get some help. So friends, today we are going to talk about the safety of both hip and knee replacement implants. Approximately 600,000 individuals in the United States receive a total knee replacement every year, and 450,000 get total hip replacements uh, by surgeons. Now, it is reported by the FDA that at least 80,000 deaths have occurred since 2008 from medical devices in the United States. So we have with us today, my friends, Madrice Kynard from Device Events. Now, Device Events was founded uh, by Madrice in 2015 after she worked for the FDA and discovered that safety information for medical devices was hard to come by, especially for patients and physicians. Madrice identified that patient safety and health outcomes were being critically impacted by the inaccessibility of information on adverse events caused by medical devices. That information is now easily acceptable through clear, comprehensive metrics reports, and signal alerts that healthcare professionals can use to improve health outcomes and patient safety while reducing risk for the organizations. Good morning, Madrice. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. Uh, Looking forward to it, and I want to thank you for coming on the show. So, Madrice, according to your company, Device Events, medical device adverse events have doubled over the past five years. Does that include knee and hip replacements? It does. You know, there are many more devices on the market now than there were five years ago. Uh, And so what we're finding is these adverse events um, are increasing, not just for the devices that are typically out on the market, but for uh, devices that um, have historically been around for quite some time, such as knees and hips. Could you tell our listeners why 
it has doubled in the past five years. Is there any particular reason? Uh, there have been some difficulties with many of the devices on the market. Um, uh, between the hips and the knees, uh, many patients are getting multiple devices at this time. And so the body has uh, some difficulty accepting multiple devices that are being implanted. And so we're finding that there are just many more problems. And the FDA has also made it easier for uh, physicians and patients to report problems to the FDA. And there's more uh, communication to patients to do that. So the number of reports has increased also because there's an understanding that if something goes wrong, uh, you really should report it to the FDA. So there's just more transparency now and more people are reporting it? That's part of it, yes. Yeah. So what particular types of uh, adverse events have happened that are associated with knee and hip replacements that you have seen? Typically what I see with, uh, with hips especially is that they dislocate. Uh, so it could be because of the, the patient's anatomy or it could be because the wrong device was chosen for that patient. Um, there are also many different variations of the device. You know, a hip isn't just one piece, it's multiple um, parts. And so we'll see things like the dislocations on a fairly regular basis. What we also see is uh, things like metallosis, which is kind of like a, a necrosis um, of the tissue around the implant. And that's because the, the body is rejecting it almost as it would uh, an organ. That, that's implanted in a patient. How about with uh, the knees? You know, what kind of adverse effects are you seeing with the knees? Well, what's kind of surprising is we are seeing some deaths with the knees, and that's um, because there are some issues with the materials in the metals. And so there have been some issues with metal ions in the blood. So uh, the patients will, will find that they're having other issues in their body that they don't necessarily know is attributed to the knee. Um, because perhaps they're allergic to the metal that was implanted in them. Uh, so we will see those. Um, there are about 218,000 adverse events reported historically for knees, and there have been 893 recalls. So of the recalls, are any ones that are maybe you know, larger as far as the amount of devices that were recalled than, than, it, than the others? Uh, the recalls are all different from one to the next. It can be for different reasons. Uh, so it's really difficult to, um, to analyze the, the 800 of them this quickly for you. But certainly that's something that I could provide to you in the future and you could make available to the patients. Got it. Um, okay. And what about for the hips? Apparently, there's also been evidence of uh, blood clots or, or incidents of blood clots. Yes, with hips, um, they are often implanted with other devices. And so the blood clots have been forming, then get loosened as um, the person moves. So the, the blood clots form around the device. But then as you become more mobile, um, they can become loosened. Got it. This is Steve Heisler, and you're listening to the Injured Senior Podcast, and I am chatting with Madrice Kennard, founder of Device Events. Madrice, so Drug Watch has reported that individuals who have metal-on-metal hip replacements also experience metal poisoning. 
and you had talked about that earlier. Uh, it's called metallosis. Is that correct? Yes, metallosis. Okay. And is there any particular reason why uh, the manufacturers have not been able to correct this problem? So to some extent, the thought was that it was only the metal on metal hips that were causing metallosis, and it was because they were different types of metals being used in the hip. Um, but what we found uh, in the years since the uh, FDA had a public meeting on that is that they're moving to um, still using metal, but not it, not having the metal on metal. It's really, you know, you've got the, the metal um, with ceramic or the metal with um, with uh with the plastics or the polys. Um, and so the thought was that those devices were going to be safer and eliminate the problems that we saw with the metal on metal hips. And it didn't happen that way. Um, so we're, we're finding that it's all types that can cause these issues. And what happens is over time, um, you know, these, these devices have coatings on them, but the body is, is acidic typically and the coatings wear off over time and then the metals leach into the bloodstream and into the surrounding tissues and so that can cause uh, metal poisoning or metallosis is what it's sometimes called um, and there are some simple blood tests in fact to determine if that's something that's happening to you you can get tested um, for metal ions such as cobalt or chromium and that will let you know if that's something that's going on in your case. Um, and, right. What what and, kind of sim- yes. what kind of symptoms are are generally what what is uh, being seen when somebody has been uh, subjected to metal poisoning? Um, we've actually seen some symptoms that look uh, similar to dementia. Uh, so there can be brain fog. Um, and joint pain elsewhere in the body, uh, and cognitive memory issues. Um, so it's not always something where you'd think, okay, well, my knee hurts, I need to go get it replaced. There can be more things going on in the body that, um, especially with, with elder patients, they may just be thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I'm having problems with dementia now because I'm getting older. But occasionally it is caused by uh, the devices that are implanted. So, right. So I actually um, saw a documentary. I forget. It might have been on Netflix uh, or HBO. But it basically involved an individual who was having serious psychological problems, almost to the point that the person had to be um, put in a mental health facility. And it took the doctors uh, a a long time to kind of continue to investigate it and do all type of testing. And it turns out that it was from, uh, I believe it was either a knee or a hip. I guess it probably was the hip since it was the metal on metal. So is that something, you know, you talked about that dementia, but were there also maybe signs that somebody was having some type of uh, like psychotic event or something like that? Um, I haven't seen that terminology used in the reports. Um, typically, they may just say mental problems. It's kind of just the terminology that's used. But what Dr. Tower experienced in that, and it was called The Bleeding Edge, and it, it's on Netflix still. Um, and he's a physician, and so he, this is a device that he'd been implanting in his patients. And then when he needed to get a hip replacement, he got the same kind. And he started having these issues, and... Uh, he thought he was losing his mind essentially. And luckily he had um, a colleague 
who thought to do some testing on him and they even did some scans on his brain and found that that he had metal poisoning um, from the cobalt in the hip and so he had it removed and within a few months he was doing much better so I believe he went and got a ceramic one which is kind of old school it's they aren't used as as often but he wanted to get as far away from uh, the metal implants as he could and uh, that's that's good information so uh, Madrice, are doctors still implanting the metal on metal hips? Well, the cobalt um, is in almost all of the the hip implants, but they use titanium as well. And that's a lot of times the titanium as an alloy. And so people don't realize that it may still be alloyed with something like nickel or with cobalt, even though it's called titanium. It's still not uh, a pure titanium. So are they still implanting uh, titanium in, uh, in hips? Yes, they are. Um, there are very few um, physicians or surgeons that are using um, completely ceramic, um, but what they're doing is a, a combination, uh, and they're trying to make the metals more pure so that they go more to um, staying away from the cobalt and chromium and, and getting closer to a pure titanium with a polyethylene and, uh, or ceramic. So they're doing these combination devices that aren't all made of metal. Got it. This is Steve Heisler. I'm talking to Madrice Kennard uh, from Device Events, and this is the Injured Senior Podcast. Madrice, what should patients consider before getting a knee or a hip implant, in your opinion? Sometimes patients don't have the option because they have uh, an injury that occurs. You know, perhaps they will fall. And so they go straight into surgery. Um, but if this is a planned surgery, some of the things that they can look into, um, first of all, of course, ask the physician how frequently uh, they see issues with their patients with the device that's being implanted. They should perhaps even get tested for metals so that if there are any metal sensitivities to think of in advance, that those are addressed before an implant goes in. So is it more prevalent as far as uh, problems uh, from metal and knee implants? Is it more prevalent in the senior or elderly uh, population, or is it spread out amongst all age groups? You know, it's spread out uh, amongst most age groups that are getting these devices, but I, I think, you know, with there's more understanding that perhaps the device is causing the issue when the patients are younger. Um, because when they're older, often their age um, is, they get dismissed because of their age. And so if the issue is really coming from a, a knee or a hip, um, they perhaps don't want to deal with it again um, or go through uh, another replacement. Okay. If you have an implant, you've already had a knee replacement or hip replacement, should you tell your doctor or, or other specialists that you see what devices that you have implanted, is that, uh, is that a good idea? It is a very good idea. Um, perhaps you see a rheumatologist because you have an autoimmune issue. Um, that autoimmune issue could be triggered by um, a, a device that's in your body. And so it's very important to tell physicians, you know, that you have these devices. Um, your family physician, you know, they're not the ones that did the surgery. So it's good to let them know what you have. You know, now that we have electronic health records, a lot of times it's available, but perhaps it's not linked yet from the hospital to that um, family practitioner. And so you shouldn't assume that they know everything 
uh, about the procedure that you've had. Um, and another thing to note is that um, most of these devices aren't considered to be lifetime devices. Um, I was supposed to get a shoulder surgery about uh, 10 years ago. And the, the physician had said, well, I don't recommend you for a shoulder replacement yet because you're only you know 41 years old. And uh, you're going to have to replace that probably three or four t times in your life. And I thought, wow, that's something that's really important to know is perhaps, you know, if you're younger, you may want to hold off. Um, if you can, certainly. Um, it depends on everyone's situation. But it's something to think about, you know, how long will I have this device? Is this something that's going to last me forever? Or do I need to consider that, that this is going to um, come back around in eight or nine years? What is there a... Um I guess has there been a study done on what the you know the actual lifetime is of one of these implants? You know, I haven't seen any specific studies, but I know that the FDA had mentioned that that typically there are no devices that are lifetime devices. So it, it's good to know. Um, it depends on what it's made of, how long it will last. Um, it also depends on the person's body chemistry. Uh, as soon as you put uh, a device into a patient's body, it's no longer inert. So it's, it's going to actively be reacting to the tissues in your body. And so some people can go much longer with a device. Um, and, and for some people, um, it, the body just doesn't want to, to hold that device as long as it does for other people. And so you start to see these signs of rejection or the necrosis or the metallosis that's going on. So our, our senior and elderly listeners should take into consideration that when they get the implant that it's supposed to be for a lifetime, but as you said, you really the, the devices rarely make it uh, the the life of the you know, of the uh, person who received the the implant. Um, so, is it are you seeing that they're having to get it replaced uh, one or two more times? Well, it it seemed to be uh, you know every ten years or so was what we're seeing. Got so it. it depends, you know, if you're 70 years old and you get it, you know, whether or not you want to go through that again when you're 80. Um, sometimes people just decide to leave them in, but certainly that could cause additional health problems. So that's something to talk to the doctor about, you know, see what your expectations are for, um, you know, for how mobile you need to be, how active you need to be, and perhaps make decisions based on that. Yeah, my dad is 88 years old. He had the knee uh uh, implant uh, about 15 years ago and I think that there uh, there's I don't know if there was misalignment but he has a lot of problems bending that knee and like I said he's 88 but he said he is not going to get it done again I mean it's just not worth the risk so I guess that's something that our listeners have to take into consideration before getting uh, a knee or, or hip replacement that it's probably you know going to there's going to be some problems that crop up uh, before the end of their lifetime. Yes, typically. So can you comment, do you, do you ever see any examples uh, of uh, like rejection of the implant by the body? Is that um, like when you were talking about the, uh, the cobalt that, you know, that was um, causing all these problems? Uh, is that an example of uh, implant rejection? It is. So the way that the uh, the reports are 
are worded is essentially it says migration or expulsion of the device. Uh, and that's the, the, the uh, activity of the device being trying to be pushed out of the body because it's foreign. Um, and I see, um, looking at knee reports right now, and I see about 3,000 cases. Uh, and these typically are not coded um, very well. So I would expect that there are many more than, than 3,000. Um, the FDA estimates that only about 10%, uh, 10 to 14% of adverse events get reported. So you can assume that those figures are actually much higher. Okay. And what would your, uh, I guess, if you had to leave our listeners with one or two action steps or tips as far as, uh, you know, as far as what they should be uh, doing before deciding whether they get a, a, a knee or, or a hip implant, what would be some, you know, what would be one or two things that you could uh, give them advice on? Uh, I would advise that they definitely want to get the metal testing, find out if they have any predisposition for problems with certain metals, especially something like nickel. There are many people who know if they have a nickel allergy, and so um, that's an important one to know about. I believe it's 35% of the general population has a nickel allergy, and so they would want to stay away from devices that are made of that material. Um, and then they also want to get the information. Um, sometimes you'll get a card with the name of the device and, you know, the lot number, model number. And that's something you want to ask them to also put in your electronic health record and then also keep that card. That way, if there are any recalls, then they know um, that their implant may have been affected. Okay. And uh, if they, I guess, can they request that they not get uh, any particular uh, device that would have nickel or something which might be foreign to the body, you know, can they go in and say, look, I, I want a, uh, I want a uh, uh, ceramic hip and I'm not going to get one unless that's what I get. Is that, uh, you know, is that a good, uh, good way to go about it? You know, you can certainly make requests of the physician, and if it's not something that they're used to using, then you can go see another physician who does use that type of implant uh, just because that's the, the physician you originally thought you were going to go to doesn't mean that that's the right fit for you. So it may be that you want to have somebody who's more um, well-versed in, in using a different type of implant. Um, and, you know, that's certainly your choice. I mean, you can pick where you want to go to buy your groceries. You could do the same thing with your surgeon. Um, so you shouldn't feel that you're tied in or locked into the the physician who originally suggested the surgery, um, if you find that that device isn't the right fit for you, um, maybe that surgeon isn't as well. So there are options. And, you know, that's one thing that I see a lot is that uh, seniors and elderly feel like, you know, the doctor is the authority. So if the doctor says this is what he wants to use or she wants to use, that they just have to go along with it. But I'm glad that at least that you're uh, indicating that you have the right to go to another doctor and say, hey, you know, this is what I want done. And if the other doctor won't do it, then, uh, you know, then there is a doctor out there and there are options as far as seeing other medical professionals who might be able, be able to accommodate you. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Now, Madrice, if any of our listeners want to maybe research um, 
any particular adverse events that might be happening with knees or hips, could they go to your website? And uh, I I know on your website, you've got a bunch of, uh, I wouldn't say that, I don't know if they're blogs uh, or if they're just kind of like news clips of different things happening with medical devices and, and, you know, adverse reactions and, you know, just basically everything you need to know about what's happening uh, in the uh, world of medical devices and adverse events. Would they be able to get information about knees and hips on, on that, on your website? So device events was created primarily for hospitals, um, insurance companies, but there are patients that come to me with questions and typically I will at least look and see if they have, um, if they're looking at a device that has a a large number of adverse events um, or make sure it's one that hasn't been recalled. Um, But there's also, um, there's a company called Track My Solutions and they have some information as well that can be helpful. Um, So where I'm typically brought in when we wanna look at larger studies and we wanna look at, you know, 400,000 events for something they actually will take in the information that's on your card and then um, you'll get a notification if there's a recall or if there's some issues going on with the device Um, but as far as um, researching in advance it really is important just to talk to your doctor talk to other patients or you know friends that have had um, the device and definitely you could come to deviceevents.com which is my site and if there's anything I can do to help you um, make that decision about whether um, a certain device may not be the right fit. Um, I'm not a physician, but I can look and see what the device is made of and, and help with that. that that's wonderful. And, and thank you for that, Madrice. Listen, uh, uh, unfortunately, we've come to the end of the show. I really, really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, just a lot of really good nuggets of information uh, about knee and hip replacements. We definitely want to have you back again to talk about some other medical devices uh, that also are posing some problems to uh, the general public. You have yourself a great day, and we definitely will have you back on soon. Thank you so much. Injured and aging population community, thank you for listening to today's episode. I want to again thank Madrice Kennard uh, for appearing on the show today. If you love the Injured Senior Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on uh, your favorite podcast platform. If you want to share your story on an upcoming show uh, about maybe uh, a hip or knee replacement that went wrong and uh, want to uh, share your experience with our audience, we would love to have you on. You can always get me at steve at injuredseniorhotline.com and feel free at any time to give us your suggestions or comments. Again, we want to thank Madrice Kennard for coming on today. Until next time, my friends, I really hope you have yourself a great week. I'm looking forward to uh, talking with you next week. Stay well, stay safe, and I will talk to you soon. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Injured Senior Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us at InjuredSeniorPodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter. To find out more or to get help at any time, visit InjuredSeniorPodcast.com or call 855-622-6530. That's 855-622-6530.